and welcome to the Podcast of Power, a She-Ra and the Princesses of Power companion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. And we are almost done with this show. We are talking about Season 5, Episode 10 this week, Return to the Fright Zone. Yes, and uh, Returning to the Fright Zone is, as you can probably imagine... Uh, just a completely grand time. Everyone has a great experience. Uh, you know, they hit up the, the gift shop. Everyone gets like a, like a nice t-shirt. Um, one of those little, um, beer bottle opener slash, uh, fridge magnets. It's great. No one goes through any sort of emotional turmoil at all. Uh, especially, especially not Catra. Yeah, especially um, not Katra. It's uh, that that girl. If one, th- if there, I know one thing about that girl: totally emotionally stable, never has any issues. Absolutely. So we, uh, it, this is a a kind of it's a very late season kind of episode, right? So you've got a uh, a more action oriented a plot, uh, more action and care, but also character focused. While there is a B plot involving the return of Bo's dads uh, that really sort of sets us up for the end game of this show. Yeah, it's uh, the, the structure of this episode is uh, is pretty interesting. I, honestly, the B-plot itself is probably more important and like plot-relevant than the A-plot is even, because the A-plot kind of ends up being largely, mostly pointless, kind of a kind of a kind of a uh, a wild goose chase in, in a couple of ways but we'll get to that in a minute i wouldn't say it's pointless it's, it's it doesn't move anything forward but it, it, i think it's important for uh character arcs oh no yeah um, i just mean as far as the the objectives of the characters oh, yeah, no. they don't really advance them very much here it's sort of a well sort of a sort of a one they learn a few things in the a plot about about uh some stuff but we'll get there we um, will get there uh before for... we get into any of that we have to start with the cold open where uh people it, everyone's gathered around the, the strategy table it's been a minute since we've seen a scene like this uh they're all gathered around the war table trying to figure out what the hell they're gonna do about these three chipped princesses luckily Natasa has been planning for this. Yes, so she has some like extremely like Batman style weakness files on everybody. Um, like ah yes, I I've thought long and hard about all of the like all of the 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 weaknesses that our our friends have, so that if they get turned against us, we can deal with it. And most of them are fire. Probably a solid 60% are fire. Including Mermista, which I'm still not sure if that counts. I don't think that works. The math doesn't really check out on that. I I guess I assume the idea is like, you know, fire turns water into steam sort of thing. But I don't know. It seems that one's a little sketchy. Sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, so Perfuma, Frosta, and uh, Mermista all have fire uh entrapped as weaknesses tech uh demonstrated kinda... by throwing a random piece of techno trash into a corner and entrapped sort of sprints after it on all fours mm-hmm. uh let's see um <laughs> uh adora's weakness 
It, what, what, what was it? It was like extreme hair envy with She-Ra. Well, she can't act to save her life and true. extreme hair envy with She-Ra. Both of very, these things very are very important. Um, by the way, uh, when she's talking about her wife's weakness, um, she accompanies this by extremely cute doodles, courtesy of uh, Noelle Stevenson, in fact, of Spinnerella just getting getting uh, getting her butt kicked and then... Uh, later on natasa just like deciding that she's never gonna have to do chores again because she will always remind uh her wife of this situation um yes her wife of course in a funny made outfit with cute written over the top of it in the last panel pretty great it's excellent the uh and of course her weakness spinderella's weakness is the insanely specific well, she twisted her ankle when she was a kid, and so it's kind of a, a weak point in her balance. So I just wait until she puts all her weight on that foot, then sweep it out from under her, and then and then get the chip off. Yeah, and, uh, it's. Nata- I mean, Natasha says everyone knows that. Everybody oh. knows that. Uh, it's it's pretty funny. Just like, and and so so you have all of these like very physical like oh yeah, hit him with fire. Hit him with fire. Hit her in the ankle. That kind of stuff. And then she gets the, like, glimmer, and it's, like, overwhelming hubris and, like, uh, self-doubt and anxiety. And Glimmer's just like, okay, that's a little that's a little personal, don't you think? Specifically, it is, she says, overwhelming hubris mixed with crippling self-doubt. Of course, naturally. Uh, just a disastrous combination. Uh, Perfuma, in addition to being moved to fire uh natasa also thinks that she often holds back uh, and is afraid to unleash her full powers due to uh not wanting to hurt her friends and, and per- when perfuma says well I, you know some might think that's a good trait natasa just says no no no, no not. not really uh and uh Bo, uh when they get to Bo, it's just like <laughs> she just snips the drawstring on his bow and he's just like <laughs> it's like i mean you know that would do it it works it it does work and she she does technically replace it with one of her little strings though i have to imagine that's probably somewhat temporary that's not really it's not really replacing it lady but ah bo can fix a drawstring that's that's probably he probably learned to do that when he was like seven uh but there is one more character who's who's convinced that she doesn't have any of these silly little weaknesses she's she's a battle-hardened general there's no way she'd be easy as easy to take down as any of these princesses says catra oh yes no she's like ah you know you've got all these files on these weak namby-pamby princesses but i i am a whore general there's there's nothing you have on me um and then she gets sprayed exactly three times by a little water bottle and then gets immediately caught in a net yep pretty easy pretty um, easy so the this is kind of where we get the the setup here for our main arcs we're going to follow after the opening cold open is done uh Bo is kind of out of it he's not really paying attention to the meeting uh adora has to kind of get to get his attention several times um yeah he's very distracted and... by something on his ipad yes i mean you gotta stop looking at you can't be on that phone Bo put down the phone um don't don't be playing angry birds or whatever i'm sure that's what that is now listen we you know you know he play you know he plays cut the rope 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Cut the rope. He's got like Zachtronics games on there. I bet you could run a. I bet you could run Zachtronics games on 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 an iPad. Yeah, probably. Put some. Put some. I don't actually know any Zachtronics games. Zopus Magnum and all, uh, Zachtronics games. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's them. The Space Kim is them. Oh right, uh, right. That one that has an entire programming language inside of it is them. Oh God. Yeah, quad no no quadrilateral cowboys is, is a is a different hacking game. I forget what theirs is called. Anyway, uh, the other thing we're gonna follow here is that Catra and Perfuma are beefing a little bit. Um, yeah, Perfuma, Perfuma just immediately is like Catra. Your vibes are rancid. You're you're the worst. Uh, I'm the only good friend to Scorpio here. You suck. And Catra's just sort of. Just sort of immediately very sad. Yeah, I mean, the uh, the whole thing is that Scorpia, after wreaking havoc, returned to the Fright Zone, and, and Perfuma believes that this is, like, indicative that there is something of Scorpia still going on in that shipped head. And so they are going to head to the Fright Zone and investigate this in what is uh, most certainly definitely not a trap um couldn't possibly be a trap yeah and catra is skeptical of that idea let's say um and and she's she's kind of being a bit flippant and she's kind of like listen perfuma i don't really think that scorpia is great at standing up to authority trust me i know and but that that's what causes perfuma to kind of go off at her um, and literally just shove this little Scorpia, uh, Scorpia figurine in her face. It's like, well, maybe, you know, she has a re- she has real friends now. Uh, you, maybe you don't really know her at all. Uh, have you ever thought about that? Yeah. And she makes this very satisfied little little inhale after she uh, she gives Catra the business here. Yeah, she's she's very self satisfied at her at her uh, takedown of of Catra here, and and Catra's just sort of like. I mean, she doesn't really have a rebuttal, to be honest. Uh, she she sort of did uh, have her ascot uh, a little bit here. I mean, yeah, you can't really say anything to that. So what do you think? Should we do the A-plot first or the B-plot first? Because I think, honestly, this time it could go either way. I think probably we take we tackle the A-plot and then we, uh, we roll into the B-plot because the end of the B-plot actually uh, coincides quite nicely with the, uh, with the wrap-up at the end. Well... Yeah, so they, they head to the Fright Zone, and immediately there is a moment where Catra and Adora kind of reflect on being back here. Obviously, not the first time they've been back in the Fright Zone together since they left, but this is the first time they've been back together, if you know what I mean. Yeah, with the, with the capital T. And yeah. they're both, you know... There's a lot of memories here, most of them bad, um, but, you know, as as anxiety-inducing as it is looking back at the Fright Zone for both of them, uh, you know, Catra tries to sort of bring up maybe a couple of the, the very scant few good memories, and she's like, hey, I bet, bet you I could beat you back to the Forge, like, like when we were kids, and we're just like, because you cheat every time, so they sort of run off uh cloaked by by milog and they're just sort of they're sort of laughing and and having a fun time running around while everyone else is like actually sneaking 
I should say it is uh, Perfuma and Natasa are also on this. Um, and, you know, th- this whole thing here with Perfuma, her main deal, this is kind of Perfuma's last big standout episode uh, for, for this uh, series. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're wrapping up these side character arcs, right? And so we've got this one here where Perfuma is really sticking to her belief that, like, I I am not going to fight my friends. I, I believe that, you know, the, the bonds are stronger than whatever Horde Prime can do. And she sticks to those guns, uh, like, pretty, pretty severely throughout this episode. She does. And, you know, I actually really appreciate it quite a lot because I find... Um... The way that the show handles Perfuma's philosophy, I think, is is like a really good example of of this specific kind of a character archetype. Um, it's it's hard to do this kind of archetype well in a show that's like action oriented like this because it's very easy to end up in a position where you kind of have to write it in such that your character who is a pacifist kind of has to either completely or like partially relinquish that in order to like make progress in your story and you know you have there's plenty of examples of of this in in the shows like sort of uh inspirations and contemporaries and stuff like that obviously we've talked uh more than a couple of times about sort of ang's situation in avatar Mm -hmm. where he like just make up a new thing for him to not have to compromise his ideals yeah exactly right where they they sort of wrote themselves into a corner because you have this character who has been raised his entire life to be a pacifist to abhor the idea of doing harm when it is not absolutely critically necessary and never more than is of course completely necessary like taking a life is totally antithetical to him so they had to kind of come up with another way for that to kind of you know kind of work out and of course also there's the angle of like it's a children's television show they couldn't just like get away with ozai getting like cut in half on screen cannot melon lord ozai for real uh the other end of that another one we've talked about a lot uh steven universe where they lean too hard in the other direction and steven just makes friends with all everything including the uh gigantic body horror monster at the core of the planet yeah that's another thing right is that they they go they go too hard in that show where they are so absolutely like insistent on the like um the the ideal that you know there are no actual villains in the show that they they sort of undermine a lot of what the plot kind of attempted to do um in order to like make sure that ideal is maintained like you know it's you sort of have in both senses both of those writing rooms really backed themselves into a corner and they weren't really able to like dig themselves out of it because you know, they had to either come up with some sort of reason why they could, like, have a genuine consequence for the villain without making, you know, the main character, like, totally break with with their their ideals, or you just have to completely undo the stakes. You know, it's just, it doesn't work super well. But here, I feel like it works a little bit better. Um, 
And for a few reasons, right? Because you have... Number one, Perfuma is not the main character. And that is a really important thing in this situation. Because I feel like when you make the, the, the person who has this kind of like extreme pacifism ideal the main character of a very action-heavy show that does involve the idea of we need to remove this person or these people from the world so they can't hurt anybody else anymore. It, it's sort of, you write yourself into a corner. So making Perfuma not the main character, a good call. But second, what I quite like is the fact that they they sort of have a situation where Perfuma goes through development as a character from someone who is entirely uh, uh, pacifistic to the point of her own detriment to someone who has sort of evolved those ideals in a way that, like, she is defending them rather than undermining them right so in the in the episode in the uh crimson waste the last time we were there if you remember we had perfuma um not really wanting to or or really able to use sort of her her full power as it were and um by the she end of that hated cacti so much she hates those cacti uh but you know, there was, like, that and also her own, like, self-consciousness, and it just really was was messing her up. And she, like, overcomes that, and she actually is able to sort of use way more of her strength than, uh, than she had before. And, of course, way early on in her development, like, her very first episode even, was her learning that, you know, sometimes you do have to physically defend yourself and your friends in order to keep everyone safe. Um, and here you get sort of the conclusion to those two things, sort of a synthesis of them, because um, Perfuma has gotten to a point in her development as a character here where she knows that she has to use violence in order to defend her ideals and her friends, but she is refusing to undermine those ideals in order to uh in, in order to reach the goal she wants she's not willing to accept that the ends justify the means here she's not willing to accept that so she spends the entire episode talking about like how she absolutely believes in scorpia she a hundred percent believes in the goodness of her heart and that you know if she's kind, then she'll get that kindness in return. And no one believes her. Nobody believes that she is right. Um, even I think there are portions of this episode where she even has her assumption here shaken a little bit a couple of times, but she stays very true to this. And, you know, she even in her sort of this happens a little later, but she has a little speech at, at Horde Prime and, you know, she talks about how it is like her value her 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 valuation of friendship over uh everything else is not a weakness, but is in fact her greatest strength, and not just her greatest strength, but also Scorpia's. And and this is kind of one of the things that that gets um that that ends up actually uh saving the day here so i don't know i i really i really like 
this kind of a, a resolution to this character type because you have this like this the synthesis of these ideas in a way that doesn't undermine anything but you also don't have to introduce like weird like side reasons why they don't have to break their own internal rules it's like it works really well exactly i think we'll we'll get more uh, a little bit more on that once we get to uh her her little talk with Katra at the end of this episode which is something i i really like uh that talk she has with her but speaking of Katra she's having a dreadful time in this episode so for starters scorpia shows up she's chipped she's big she's sparking uh there is a moment (laughs) where um where when she first shows up and and, like lifts a gigantic hunk of machinery over over her head and she's just wreathed in electricity catcher just goes whoa yeah i mean listen even when your your life is being threatened sometimes you just gotta sometimes just a little moment um importantly before Scorpia shows up, there's a very funny bit where everyone else is kind of sneaking and trying to be stealthy or whatever. And Perfume is just sort of walking around, like calling Scorpia's name as loudly as possible. And Natas is just like, does anyone understand what stealth means? No, not at all. No, not it's, at the, all it's the wrong They're... group for that, Natasa. I'm sorry. There's another very good moment uh, before they get into the fright zone when they're walking past the forge when Catcher is just like, oh yeah, uh, me and Hordak messed this place up when we had a little disagreement yeah, just... before we got taken by Horde Prime. And she looks so tired. <laughs> she, listen, it was a long, long week, that specific week. She doesn't like yeah. getting reminded of that one. Yeah, doesn't like getting reminded of the time Hordak chased her through the fright zone with a Mega Man arm cannon. Yeah, seems like less than an ideal scenario. Yes, but so Scorpia um, comes up to Catra, and Catra attempts to apologize, but Chip Scorpia isn't hearing any of it and just zaps her in the chest, which just yeets her off uh off out of the building just completely uh sends her flying yeah uh, if it listen if that was one of if we're keeping track of catcher's nine lives that was definitely one of them almost certainly she she flew a long way uh but flying that's such a long way and being separated from uh the other three means that she gets to encounter uh mermista yeah she this is a bad matchup for Katra. Not, she hates water so much. Yeah, as um, as demonstrated at the beginning of the episode, water is in fact the girl's weakness, and she is yes. uh uh the matchup here is just not going well for her, frankly. Uh she's 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 trying to like use uh the stealth to her advantage, you know, Milog is cloaking her or whatever. She's trying uh, she actually gets the jump on Remista at one point, but right as she's about to uh, bop the chip, she notices that it is, um, it's looking weird. There are these nasty green tendrils spreading out from it along the back of Remista's head, uh, which seems bad, frankly. And and yeah. that allows Mermista to hit her with a hydro pump. Um, and basically, Catra spends the rest of the episode 
soaking wet getting battered by water and just yelling about it the whole time um yeah she she gets to drop exactly one time and then after that mermista is wise to her tricks and uh, she can't really get away with it again uh meanwhile everyone else is still fighting scorpia and uh then of course uh spinnerella shows up uh to which uh natasa has to uh to sort of go take care of leaving really only perfuma and adora to uh to deal with scorpia here which is less than ideal yeah you don't really want to so split everyone, the party no you definitely don't especially not against three enemies that don't hold anything back so everyone's fighting uh we get this is where we get catcher and remista we get uh natasa and spinnerella duking it out on the uh the the rooftops here and this is also when we get Adora and Perfuma, and this is when Perfuma, like, sort of despairs a bit about how Horde Prime could do this to someone. How she's like, you know, Scorpio was so full of light and happiness, and he has just completely wiped all of that out. There's nothing left of her in there. Yeah, she's, she's sort of, in in that scene specifically, she's sort of starting to lose faith a little bit. She's... She's trying to keep it up, but she's starting to feel like maybe her her ideals might be failing her. And uh, and this is, of course, reinforced by a scene just a minute or two beforehand where uh, she sort of stops, uh, stops Adora from, like, continuing to fight Scorpia and sort of just, like, takes a moment to walk up to her and, like put put a little like flower vine um around around scorpia and like try and reach out to her and it doesn't work uh at all and and yeah so it's it's just it's a situation where they're kind of they're kind of trying to uh to get out at this point more than anything it seems like their their plan has sort of all uh all gone south that's right because Shira, the sword disappears. Um, Adora takes a hit, and the sword just kind of flickers and fades away, which is concerning to say the least. Um, yeah, Adora takes a hit. By the way, in uh, a very specific hiding spot, uh, a hiding spot that her and Perfuma chose. That, as it turns out, was maybe the worst possible place they could have picked. Um, oh, yeah, it's the Black Garnet <laughs> Chamber. Yeah, you probably don't want to stand right next to uh, the runestone that uh, the the person you're fighting is is attached to there. So yeah, they get uh, blasted and they uh, they end up in the throne room. And you know, usually we're we're used to Hordak sitting up there and being all goth and and foreboding, but this time no Hordak. Instead. Horde Prime has arrived. He is already here. He is already here, and he's he's sitting in uh, Hordak's funny chair, and he was uh, sort of sort of set this whole thing up. You know, he he sort of assumed, hey, you know what? I'm gonna move all of these these princesses into the fright zone. You know, these these weak, emotional minded Ethereans are going to be uh, so drawn in by the prospect of saving their friends that they'll walk directly into a trap. And it turns out uh, he was kind of right about that one. He did he did sort of nail that one on the head. Pretty pretty solid solid planning here uh, on on his part. And uh, uh, Adora sort of immediately 
uh, after her and Perfume are both sort of uh, captured by a bunch of sparky wires. Uh, she's like, you know, you're never going to get She-Ra. Uh, this is pointless. You know you're never going to be able to use the Heart of Etheria without me. Uh, and, you know, all that sort of jazz. But Prime Prime is not uh, is not having it because he doesn't need her anymore. That's right. So, you know, Etheria has been despondos for a thousand years, give or take. Uh, and during that time, nobody ever bothered to update its OS. No, not particularly. Yeah, there's there's sort of running uh like like Windows XP here, which uh you know is a couple of security vulnerabilities. You know they they didn't download like the unofficial like Service Pack Seven yet or nothing like that. So that they're sort of they're sort of vulnerable here, just a touch. Yep, uh, and so he's just like, yeah, I don't I don't actually need Shira anymore. I figured it out. I can just hack it i can just hack into the heart myself i can just take what i want from this primitive little planet so uh yeah i don't actually need you anymore so he he is just gonna have scorpia uh get rid of him yeah he's just gonna just, have uh, them immediately executed because like i mean why not like he's, he doesn't need him um and at this point is when you know perfuma has her sort of speech here and you know she tells she tells prime like you know you you're dead wrong you don't understand what real power is real power comes from love and friendship and and that sort of thing and uh and she sort of is is pleading with scorpia to to try and fight and break through uh the chip here because you know she she knows that Scorpia loves her friends and you know they love her and everything like that so um at first it seems like it's not working even a little bit but Scorpia does intentionally miss you know she she uh she does not actually kill them she sort of brings a, a, a an eye beam down on both of them but uh but they both manage to escape their uh their bonds here Instead of just getting like immediately zapped. Yep, and immediately upon seeing that there's no one in that rubble, Horde Prime is like, "Submit yourself for inspection." What the hell was that? Yeah, he's you... more than a little bit uh, pissed off at the whole affair. Truth be told. Uh, but he's like, you know what? It doesn't matter. Whatever. They can't do anything to stop me. Like, there's there's nothing that could possibly stop the heart of Etheria, and we'll we'll, we'll get to that later. Um. But yes, so we get we get back to Spinarella and Atossa. We finish up their fight as yes, the 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 ankle thing comes into effect. It comes into and... effect with a sickening bone crunch. Uh, her wife sort of yeah. shatters her ankle in eight places. And you know, it's all out of love because she the great the great line, you know, Natasha's been talking about weaknesses this whole time. It's like, you know, Spinny, you're my weakness, and she just knocks her out yeah she knocks so, her out throws like a little net sphere into the into the chip which seems to uh sort of turn it off here and yeah she she manages to uh to get a hold of uh, a hold of her wife here uh which is which is great you know we did we got one got one back yeah. so that's good um not a total failure yeah, yeah. Uh, one, one out of three ain't bad Ketra calls Bone Glimmer is like out. Need to get out. Yeah, this is all. This is Come all pick gone us bad. up. We... Help. <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah. Glimmer. 
Glimmer gets over there, gets everybody out. Uh, but before we get to this ending here, we should talk about what Bo and Glimmer have been up to because, so we mentioned earlier, Bo's really worried about his dads. They're, um, they have not been answering his messages and, you know, there's like, I, I think he's like, there's no signals coming from the library or anything. And he's, he is just like very very worried that the horde has gotten to them and that they have also been chipped yeah he's he's very worried about it but he's also worried about abandoning like the rest of the team you know he's like well i don't know like i'm really really worried but also is this as important as like the rest of the stuff we're doing and glimmer just sort of immediately reassures him like no no no, this is exactly as important as everything else we're going to go together and we're gonna find your dads and they sort of have like this they have a nice little moment. They they hug each other, both sort of like like lets his own sort of like guard down a little bit and he just sort of like leans into her and like talks about how he's like genuinely really, really worried. And you know, it's 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 nice to see him like actually being the one that's getting some emotional reassurance as opposed to like him being the one doling it out. So so that's yeah. that's nice. So they go to the library. They they immediately find some horde bots around, which doesn't calm Bo down at all. No, I, quite the opposite, in. really. No, it it uh, it's a very bad sign. So they head in and they find the place has been tossed. Oh yeah, um, it's just it's trash. The the Shira dragon vase is smashed to pieces. Uh, there's cool tables overturned too. everywhere. Yep. And he, Bo, is just beside himself. Glimmer teleports around to check all the rooms, but doesn't find anything. Uh, but then, you know, as Bo is just in the middle of, of catastrophizing, right? He's just, he's, uh, he's having like, a bit of a breakdown. He's blaming himself for everything. He's, like, coming up with, like, this entire thing. And then Glimmer's just like, eh, Bo. No, there's a note. There's a note. There's a note. <laughs> There's a note attached to the wall, pinned to the wall with a little arrow. Um, yeah, does, it. does it have a little bow drawn on it? Uh, I think it's just uh, a little uh, picture of both of his dads, of uh, of Lance and... Um... I think you're right. Oh, what is what is the dad's name? It's Lance and... Um... George. Yeah, Lance and George. George is the mustached one. Uh, Lance is uh, the one with the dreadlocks and the sandals. Yes, yeah. So Lan- little little Ooh. Lance and George is uh, is on the the note here with like some cute cursive writing. Um, yes, and what what is in the note? <laughs> what is in the note? Well, in the note is you know you you might be expecting like oh Bo, don't worry, we're safe. Uh, here's our coordinates. Da, 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 da. No, it is in fact a dad joke it is it is it is a coded message written entirely in dad and that coded message is the first one say when they burned dinner it was ruined and bo's face (laughs) bo's face is the like you know that like text emoji you can do with like the two dashes and then in the middle is an underscore yeah that's his face he is making that face right now. He is just, just all all of the emotions just washed away, just completely flat, just so mad and, and, about, about this. And Glimmer is just like, what? What does that mean? I don't understand. And he's just like, 
I know where they are. So, speaking of returning to the beginning, this is an episode full of that stuff because where they are turns out to be the very same ruins from the first episode, or rather the second episode, I should say, technically. Um, Yes. Which I think we decided, it was the beacon, I believe, was the name given to this kind of uh, big tower in the forest. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the beacon. I'm like, I am... I'm pretty sure this is a different ruin than the Crystal Castle. I'm like 99% on that. Oh, it definitely is. It, it absolutely is, because this is where they, they first met this, uh, this like, Light Hope 0.1-looking lady. Um, and yeah, they, they, they head in there and immediately get an arrow shot at them, because apparently, uh, you know, those dads are there, and they're very excited to see their son... Uh, George has been teaching Lance how to shoot a bow, which is uh, awkward because uh, George also doesn't know how to shoot a bow. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's, it's sort of uh, not not an ideal teacher for the situation, but you know uh, they they're doing their best. They're trying, they they, they do. <laughs> they're engaging almost, in their son's interests. They're engaging in their son's interests. Um, I mean, it's kind of a good thing that they don't know how to shoot arrows yet because they do just sort of immediately, you know, fire before uh, for looking. Yeah. Um, but uh, but that's it's fine. It misses by like ten feet. Uh, and bow and glimmer are okay. So at first, bow is is pretty pissed at them. Uh, she's like, "You are not going to distract me with puns right now." Like he he thinks that they are just that they have just like completely missed whatever is going on and they're just going about their business as if nothing is wrong and just moving you know continuing with their with their archaeological projects but they're like no 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 we are are not just here because we're hiding we are here because we found something here yes they found actually quite a lot so they have been trying to figure out exactly what the deal is with this specific ruin because uh it turns out there is some coded messages hidden in this uh light hope version 1.0 that's right we uh they 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 give the, they give it all the old for the honor of gray skull uh which they never tried in the second episode i think that was before adora knew uh, how that worked or what to say or even wanted to say it i don't think yeah um, i don't even think she knew that phrase yet i'm pretty sure the only thing that they like they tried shira and they tried eternia and i think that's it like i'm pretty yeah. sure that's all they said yeah so it, the, saying for the honor of grayskull opens up this like like a constellation map that doubles as a codex like a like a puzzle you're supposed to solve so Bo's dad's slot in uh, the passphrase friend of Mara, which I believe we have discussed at length in the past. I don't remember when we, we talked about it, but I, yeah, I, it might have been in the season four question. Uh, actually, it was um, I think it might have been during the Mara episode. It might have been during Hero. I'm pretty sure it was during the Mara episode. Yeah, like that we discussed the whole deal with friends of Mara. But uh, for just to refresh everyone, friends of Mara is like a direct reference to uh, a, sort of a, an old school like thing called Friends of Dorothy, which was sort of like a 
it was it was kind of an identifier for like uh for like uh gay people back in like the fifties and sixties. Um sort of like uh like just like a coded phrase to like let people know that kind of thing. That's right. And it continues to be a coded phrase here, but specifically for Mara's rebellion uh against the, the tyranny of the first ones. So this is where we get one of the big reveals, or rather the big reveal of this episode. So the uh, the Light Hope just kind of opens its mouth and starts playing an audio log from, uh, I believe it is Serenia, um, which is a name that has come up in the past. I, I guess I could I could check and, and scrub through here, but I'm, I'm fairly certain it's Serenia. But anyway, I'm pretty sure it is it Serenia. Is... I don't remember where Serenia comes up, but I do know that name's been said before. It's it, it comes up several times. Uh, it, it it actually come up came up first in uh, the message from Signals. Oh it was yeah, like Portal Mara Serenia. Um, and then there was it was an M one of Vase. It's 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 she's one of Mara's uh, comrades, and and this is her last message as as they um they are talking about the the failsafe that they have created for the heart of uh, the heart of Etheria. As they're they're being attacked by uh, first one forces here, um, and then they uh, they end this sort of doomed message with uh, Rebel Squadron Grayskull signing off. So, all right, this 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 it's time to talk about for the honor of Grayskull, yes. uh, which is something I've been waiting to talk about. So, I think we talked about it a little bit once again in the Mara episode, but this is finally where it's all revealed, and the kind of meaning behind it is, is unlocked here. So, I think it would be fair enough to say that that passphrase existed before, right? Uh, presumably tied to the actual Castle Grayskull on Eternia, if we are going by the actual lore uh, from the 80s show, right? Right. However, considering that using that phrase unlocks the secret message in Light Hope uh, here, it got repurposed as a rallying cry by Mara and, and her rebellion. They, they they took it away from the first ones and and kind of used it against the uh, the people who forged the sword. It It, it is a... An interesting wrinkle in the the sort of story of Shira as a uh, as a character. Yeah, I think I think it is very very interesting. Like I I have to assume yeah basically the same sort of thing right where the Eternians uh you know they built the sword of protection they built it around that rune stone and they like presumably made all of the the sort of trappings of the shira as as she exists um post their their sort of colonization of the planet and like it's it's interesting because um you'd have to imagine yeah grayskull would be like a big important thing for like a united eternia and um taking that sort of symbology away from like an Eternia that had become like this big galactic superpower um, and sort of returning it to kind of its more like intended ideals, the, the ideals of like, you know, 
uh, protecting the weak and 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 whatnot sort of the like uh the the power behind he-man and whatever um so right uh so yeah them repurposing that phrase and using it as sort of their new kind of rebellious thing it's it's got like a cool energy to it like i think that's actually really neat it's one of those things that i super wouldn't mind seeing fleshed out in some way like i I think it'd be really cool to get some kind of like supplementary material that just like maybe goes into the the first rebellion just a little bit it'd be kind of interesting yeah like it is uh i want to learn more about rebel squadron grayskull what just mostly just because that's a really cool name yeah right um but yeah that's that's the end of that so yeah we there is a fail safe that exists for the heart of etheria somewhere in a place called arxia problem is nobody knows what that is first ones had names uh had different names for everything on the planet yeah so there's no telling what it could possibly be uh but before they can think more on that that is when they get the call from katra and they all have to teleport out of there yeah and before we move on to the actual conclusion here i do want to say just real quick i i love so much it's it's such a small detail and i mean here it's actually kind of a big detail but the thing where you have like a precursor or like an ancient race uh of people who built all of these ruins or whatever and and came before you or whatever it's it's like every property ever right but like so few of them actually like consider the idea that they had like their own language and they called things different things and there's actually like an amount of like deciphering required to figure out like oh they're mentioning this location where the hell is this location like you know because everything's named different like i don't know it's just like it's one of those little world building considerations you just don't see many people actually making and it's cool that not only is it present here but it is actually like a pretty critical plot important thing i don't know it's it's just nice yeah it's it's good so yeah as they're all trying to figure out what arxia is they all head back to base um there's a moment that glimmer has with natasa and she's natasa's just so relieved that spinnerella is back with her um just like just she says, i got her uh, they all teleport back to base, and this is where we have this scene with uh, Perfuma and Katra here, where after all of this, you know, Katra just kind of comes up and says, "Yeah, hey, so I heard, uh, I heard Scorpia dropped a beam on you." Yeah, well, to Rough be stuff. well, well, something important to note actually immediately before this is that like Perfuma is looking quite sad. Um, you know, Perfuma's not not doing especially great because you know she wasn't able to bring Scorpia back with her. Um, and you know, Katra's like kind of hovering a little bit. She's like, she doesn't look like she quite knows what to say. Cause you know, she's, she's not good at this whole friend thing yet. You know, she's still working on it, but she, she sort of opens up with a joke. She tries to, she tries to sort of break the tension a little bit with a joke about getting a beam dropped on her. Yeah. And, but, uh, Perfuma enters that with no 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 she missed on purpose that means she's still in there yeah and 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 Catra's just like you know how how do you know how do you know it was on purpose and Perfuma just sort of inhales and is like you know it's because I believe in her I believe in Scorpia and I believe that 
you know, she she remembered. And uh, it's like, it's a very sweet moment. And she sort of, then we get a really interesting thing here because um, then Perfuma, uh, she stands up. She was she was sitting on the floor. She's sort of doing like a meditation thing to, to keep her, her, her calmness. And uh, she goes over to Katra and uh, she starts talking uh, sort of more directly to her. You know, she's she sort of is sort of, um, trying to impart her philosophy a little bit onto Katra here. Um, she's like, you know, it's it's really hard to have your heart be open. It's very hard to like be vulnerable. But you know, it's I have to believe that it's worth doing because it's, you know, it's not a weakness, it's a strength. And it's like one of the greatest strengths uh, that we have. So it's, it's important to, to make sure that we don't harden our hearts and that we, we keep, we keep ourselves open. And while she's saying this, she's glancing over Katra's shoulder directly at Adora in the background which is like yeah. i mean <sighs> but she literally like get you know moves her eyes a few times to get catcher to look over her shoulder to look at Adora it's like do, do you get it yeah like do you do you get it like listen listen there is not a soul alive in this camp who's not painfully painfully aware of exactly how gay these two women are for each other except maybe themselves actually catcher knows but you know she's still like a little bit in denial about it and trapta might not know she might not be able to pick up on that she's busy see you say that but i feel like even at a certain point in trapta gets it you know like i i feel like in trapta like she probably doesn't care, but like I think she's probably aware of it. Yeah, probably. But yeah, that I, I just love that little moment, and then of course immediately after that, Perfume is like she she has turned around on Catra. I think it's nice to see Catra like have de- developing another friendship with another character. It's um, it's very sweet. Where Perfume was like, we, we, we're, I'm gonna, you know, we're gonna do some guided meditation. I'm gonna help you unravel all of your, all of your abandonment issues and all of your negativity. We're, we're gonna get through this thing. And Catcher's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Catcher's like, whoa, whoa, yeah, I don't know that I'm ready for therapy yet. That I thank you for the she's... offer, but I think I'm gonna go over here now. I'm gonna go over here. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna walk in this direction. And and she's definitely not ready for therapy yet because while uh, she goes over there. And everyone's like, okay, so there's a failsafe. That's great. Well, where is it, though? Uh, and that is when uh, I am sure that they were standing directly outside the tent, waiting for the exact moment. Uh, Shadow Weaver and Cassispella burst in. And I was like, we need to go to Mysticore. Yeah. And Catra is not happy to see her no she is not like her her pupils get real tiny and she tenses up and she is not especially happy about shadow weaver being uh in her vicinity it's been a while since uh since they've interacted and she's not exactly thrilled about the prospect of having a fun journey to mysticore uh with shadow weaver seems like a recipe for problems i'm fairly certain 
that the last time they directly interacted, Shadow Weaver did try to kill her. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, end of season three there. Was the last time they were face to face, I believe. I mean, listen, when, so, you who's, know. when's the last time someone hasn't tried to kill her? Really? Bo. That's true. Bo's never tried That's it. That's true. That's true. So, yeah, that is where we end. And next week, we're going to be talking about the bit, like, the, the penultimate episode of this podcast. And I guess, technically, the penultimate episode of this show failsafe yes i i'm really excited to get to failsafe it is a fantastic episode we're finally going to answer that that all-important question that we've uh we've had sitting around for a while and uh uh that's that's gonna be quite a wild ride i think that's right so yes uh no questions this week that's fine uh we were hoping for a little bit of a, of a shorter recording uh this this episode i think it's a very fun one uh but it is mostly really really moving the pieces into place the real meaty stuff is going to be in these last three episodes here uh especially you know hard part two obviously so we're we're gearing up for the long ones here folks so uh we will we will there will be a spoiler zone here not really a spoiler zone we're not going to be talking about anything in the future i don't maybe a little bit but uh, it's, it's mostly going to be about uh, the chips that Horde Prime uses and, and kind of what they mean uh, as, as a story device, as a metaphor. So if you're interested in that, stick around. But, uh, of course, you can find us all sorts of places on the internet, uh, like on Twitter, at Podcast of Power. Yes, got to get, gotta get uh, these plugs out. We got an email uh, if you have uh, questions for any specific episode but also questions for our uh sort of end of the season slash end of the show wrap up that's uh that's coming up here pretty fast uh that's going to be uh pod of power at gmail.com just uh just make sure when you you know send it just put somewhere in there like if you want it for a specific episode or for the wrap up we uh yeah we got an email there curious cat as well uh it don't work too well sometimes it eats questions sometimes it displays faint notifications if you got a question it probably best to just send it through twitter um yeah probably twitter would be the best way to do it frankly just sort of reply to our question post and we'll we'll get to it or you know email it uh curious cat obviously still feel free to use it if you want but you know your mileage may vary because the website doesn't seem to work too good is your own risk and of course we also have a patreon we do that's patreon.com slash pod of power um we have two wonderful tiers uh we have the uh horde cadet and force captain tiers so for one united states dollar you can become a horde cadet which gets you access to our old bonus content which is uh the first couple seasons of the uh kipo and owl casts uh, where we look at Keeping the Age of Wonder Beasts and uh, the Owl House, respectively. Uh, both pretty good. Very, very excited to get deeper into that season two, the Owl Cast. Oh, yes. We've, uh, we we got to our, our first couple episodes of that the, uh, the other week, and they were so nice. Um, as well, both of our uh, patron tiers get access to the Discord of Power, which is our sort of 
uh, Discord server. Uh, we've been doing a couple of movie nights. Uh, it's a place just to sort of hang out, talk about stuff, talk about the episodes that come out, maybe post pictures of your cats. People love to post pictures of their cats, and uh, we some love to see them. tats they're getting, some cool tats. Oh, yeah, the tats. Cats and tats. So, you know, got the whole, got the whole thing. Um, Over Discord of Power, yep uh yeah three dollars and of course yeah three dollars also gets you all of our other stuff so in addition to the current seasons of the kipo and owl casts you will also gain access to our third bonus show the infinicast about infinity train uh currently on book one hoping to record another one of those this week yeah that should be interesting i'm excited to get back to that show uh i feel like i've said that like eight times now but that show is like really good it's like it's like surprisingly very like emotionally heavy in a way that like just is is like resonant it was pretty cool so yeah the look forward to that we got uh, a few other bonus things we have just like capital b bonus episodes um we have the uh the she riffs which is like a sort of syncable commentary that you can put over a an old classic 1980s shira episode those are pretty fun uh probably gonna be recording uh another one of those pretty shortly here probably gonna be a peak blue episode along with uh, a few other things uh in the near future we've also got the uh the actual play um one shot of for the honor which is the shira themed uh sort of tabletop system dmless system and that's going to be super fun we're still working out the details for exactly when that's going to happen but uh, it's probably going to be after the email episode so maybe in about yes. three four weeks something like that a little bit yeah we might split it up into two parts depending on how long it is uh well stay tuned i think that that one will definitely be going up on the uh on the main feed i think yeah i think so too i think that'll be like a fun treat for everybody that'll be just like a like a nice a nice like capstone on the whole thing like that would be super fun watchtower technically exists it technically exists and it will it technically exists and it will exist before this show is over that i know for certain it's just it's been a little bit of a nightmare trying to get the video editing software to work but it is on the way adobe uh is, is the anti-sponsor of this podcast as, as we said we many times um why don't you read the names of our lovely uh force captain patrons this time yeah absolutely here let me, let me pull that up all right and we've got uh we've got three brand new patrons all force captains here and that's uh maya capasso alex hulla and kitty sasson so thank you very much to everybody who's new uh as for everyone else uh <clears throat> oh boy <laughs> tajana nita paul robinson ludovica peruzzi casey cosmos emily p zach jen b katie sinclair Chris, Remy Dillon, Salty Salty, Blue Holly, I Beauregard, Kaylee Louisa, Garrett Johnson, Ross Ivy, Crystal Germ, Emma Lynn, Ashley Butcher, Autumn Keys, Anelia, Cody, Haley Moreland, Yusuf Gurch, Ashley, Kyra Williams, Mabel Mabel, Ryan Kuhn, Jennifer Jones, Jess Pumphrey, Leon Lay, Sean Montgomery, Jack O'Neuro, Olivia, <laughs> Brittany, Newell, uh, Michael Steiner, Tara Stark, TCO, Brennan Fitzgerald, David, Emma Grossman, and 
Robert Harris. Thank you all so much for all your continued support. Not so easy, is it's it? It's not. It's a lot of names. It sure is. So yes, thank you all very much. Now then, uh, we will... Oh, of course, I guess, yeah, you'll find me over at Disney Minus, if you like. Talking about stuff on Disney Plus. Latest episode, Great Muppet Caper. Very funny movie. Oh, yes, it's... Turns out them Muppets. About them Muppets. Columbo is there. If you like Columbo, he's in the movie. <laughs> he does show up in an uncredited role, <laughs> and he tries to sell Kermit a watch. And, and uh, I can't really describe the things he says in that scene. They're incredible. Yeah, you, uh, you, you listen, you're going to have to listen to the podcast. But yes, Great Muppet Caper uh, coming up next on that. So, yes. Yes, uh, and one last oh. thing before we get to the actual uh spoiler zone here very uh very excited to to finally make uh make this, yeah i think this is i think this is it i mean we got the name we got everything ready ready to go i think this is where we, Lord, we say I guess. it i suppose you take it away then all right so we've sort of we've sort of teased and hinted at what the the next project we're going to be doing after the podcast power is it's a it's a little different from the format of the show that we're doing here but we're going to be running a new show starting probably the very start of uh 2022 here and it's going to be called radio free Heidelin. yes that's right it's going to be a final fantasy 14 companion podcast so that's going to be a bit of an endeavor yeah, Endwalker, the final chapter of this of this story. Uh, not not the end of Final Fantasy fourteen proper, but the end of this story uh, will be coming out this November. Um, and you know, the game has consumed our brains uh, much in the same way Shira did last year. In fact, so we figured it'd be a pretty good thing. It, it is not. A thing that has been done before, uh, doing something that analyzes Final Fantasy XIV as a holistic text. Uh, I think mostly because that's an idea for insane people. Uh, but luckily, uh, luckily, that's that's exactly us. So yeah, we will be exactly we will us. be making our way through. Uh, the entirety of, all of, of that video game, the whole thing, all of it. We're we're gonna do we're gonna do the side content. We're doing the job quest. We're doing the whole thing. It's going to be, oh my god, that's gonna be a long podcast. But that's that's <laughs> the plan. Uh, that's that's coming up. Like I said, probably it's gonna be the very start of next year because uh, of course, N Walker comes out um, this fall. I think like the day after Thanksgiving. I think it was something like that. And so we'll just be playing through that sort of to, 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 to get through that here at the end of the year. And then we're going to be starting brand new characters uh, at the start of the year here and uh, making, making our way through the, the wonderful world of Hydaelyn. Doing it all over again. So yeah, we, uh, announcing it this early gets, it gives everyone time to see if that free trial is for them to see if they want to play along with us yeah and uh, actually i think like i don't know if it's still happening there was like a return campaign right now so if you had like a subscription a while ago and that subscription has lapsed i think for longer than a month it they're letting people 
um, come back for free temporarily. I'm not 100% sure if that's still happening by the time this goes up, and I'm also not 100% sure um, how long that offer goes for, but, you know, if you've, if you've been sort of waiting on, on the whole thing, yeah, it might be, it might be a reasonable time to give it a shot. So yeah, stay tuned. We'll, we'll be dropping more details about how this is going to work later. This, we will not be silent for half a year. I, we have some plans on stuff to release before the beginning of Ready for Your Hadeland proper, but, uh, you know, that, that's, that's for another time. For now, let's get back to Shira and talk some chips. Yes, and for those chip talks, uh, for those of you who won't be joining us, we'll catch you later. But for those of us who are, we'll see you on the other side. So chips, not the not the not the snacking kind. We got we got slightly worse kind of chips here. Not delicious. Not delicious in the slightest, though they do appear to be lime flavored at the very least. I do like. Ooh, you ever have those um those lime dusted tortilla ooh, chips? Those are those good. are my favorite. That's the best. The best kind there is. But that's not the those those are delicious and and, and give a, 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 a spark of zest yes. to anything you dip them in. These chips uh, steal your free will and turn you against all of the people you love and hold dear. Yes, and these chips have themes in them. Tortilla chips, no themes. They didn't put any in them. The theme is crunchy. Oh, uh, you know what? That's true. But but yes. Yeah, so so chips as like. A thematic tool are it's it's interesting to sort of look at them from uh, a sort of top-down perspective i think because in the actual narrative of the show itself they're this you know very terrifying sort of imposition of uh horde prime's will upon people um sort of this the mental domination aspect uh and whatnot but when you take a look at, um, I think, this sort of thing from a completely, like, thematic perspective, you just sort of start dissecting the, the actual media itself here. You know, take a step out of the uh, out of the pond and just sort of look at it as, like, a piece of machinery and and where it, uh, and, and how it's used and why it's used the way it is, I think, is, like, it's, it's interesting and I think gives some insight into, uh, into the actual show itself. Yeah, so obviously, Horde Prime, super cultish, super like a a kind of manifestation of systemic religious trauma here, right? Mm-hmm. And it is definitely no mistake that his main method of subjugation is an insidious, almost invisible, intangible-like way of 
turning people away from their families and, and into his point of view. It is, you know, as Perfumus says in this episode, it, it is it is a perverse, twisted thing to take someone like Scorpia, who is so full of light and love, and turn her into this cold, unfeeling death machine. Exactly, exactly. It's like this... It sort of captures this sort of insidious, like, earworm effect that you sort of get um, in these kind of culty, like, particularly, like, Christian culty organizations where they are being, uh, their sense of self, their their sort of personality, their ideals are sort of peeled away, um, and and what's left is this very malleable kind of proto-person that is sort of reshaped um, in the image of the person who is kind of dominating over them. Um, you get this, uh, I mean, like, you get this in a lot of those sort of situations where you have, like, um, there's there's this concept of, uh, of people, like, the the people who have been in your life like outside of the church or whatever being too worldly you know like the the worldly people are are like a bad influence and you need to um either either also convert them or you need to eject them from your life as hard as possible and this and i think the chipping thing um really like sort of plays into that like it, it sort of pulls on those kind of idea strings yeah, we see it, you know, several times. I think, you know, it is also no mistake that they all still have speech for the most part, except for Scorpia. I don't really know why Scorpia doesn't talk. Uh, but Catra, Spinnerella, Mermista, and uh, next episode, Micah, all talk and all leverage past relationships as a way to harm the the people they love right so obviously catra and adora in save the cat that that is the first example of this he she is uh used as a weapon you know physically and emotionally against adora here spinnerella is constantly taunting natasa and just asking her to just come into the light of prime and then and just saying you know all of this struggling is absolutely pointless just give in just just you'll you can be at peace with me and Micah, uh, in the next episode, as we will see, is just, like, mocking Glimmer and Shadow Weaver for their weaknesses. Yes, I, I, think, I think part of it, so I'm, like, I'm thinking about why is it that Scorpia was silent? And it's, it's an interesting idea, right? I think part of the reason that is, is because the the chips themselves don't actually completely a hundred percent erase the person that is uh is under their dominion like what's important to remember is that these people still have all of their memories they still have all of these experiences and they are still like in there um but there's sort of like a superimposed control layer above that that is using those things against both you the chipped and also your friends who you have connections to and i think 
um, if you if you look at how the other chipped people behave, it sort of points you in a direction for why Scorpio is like this. So like Catra being chipped, right? She is very open about her sort of feelings for Adora and the way that Adora has made her feel and the way that all of that emotional stuff has affected her and made her vulnerable. And, you know, that is being used in this sort of top layer control personality to to uh, to hurt Adora and to, of course, hurt Catra and keep Catra under control. And you see this, uh, and with Micah as well, right? Micah is talking about how, like, how weak and pathetic Glimmer is and how she could never live up to how amazing and powerful Angela was, how amazing and powerful her mother was, you know? Like, these sorts of things where it's sort of taking the worst aspects of these people and, uh, like, like Katra's emotional manipulation, right, and, and that sort of thing, like, taking those worst aspects of those people, the, the parts of them that are simultaneously the most vulnerable and also the parts of them that are the most aggressive and the most like hurt and combining them together just mashing them together and using that as a weapon right um and for scorpia i think a big reason why she's totally silent is because what is being played on here is her complete like docility in the face of authority that her her like self-doubt and her inability to actually question and and interrogate her role uh in relation to authority and, and her her ability to or her inability to um to actually face that head on and and go against it i think that's really like been pulled as hard as possible to the surface here in this sort of control personality where she is so dominated that she is literally a tool. She is no longer capable of even speaking. She is nothing more than an extension of the will of that authority, more so than maybe anyone else who has been chipped. That's a great way. I never thought of it that way. I just thought she looked cool. I mean, she does also look pretty cool. Yeah, I think one the other thing is that they do it because it makes her look way cooler and more and, and scarier. Um, yeah, it's like, you know, the other thing here, next episode we will learn that the uh, the chips are becoming more entrenched, that eventually they will be completely unable to be removed. Like, uh, Entrapta is barely able to get Spinnerella's chip off of her neck, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, is, it is a race against time to, to get the rest of them off. And I think that kind of, you know, deprogramming works to a certain extent. But I feel like there is a there is a tipping point where you can't pull someone back. Exactly. That's And that's a big thing. I, I feel like anybody who's dealt with a lot of this sort of culty style stuff, especially in Christian sort of circles, knows exactly how that is, right? Like... There is there is a there's a point where you can still pull people back from the edge, but if they've been entrenched in it for long enough, if they've been indoctrinated so long, it's almost impossible to pull them back. They're off the cliff. They have plummeted off the cliff, and there's almost no way to get them back. 
and and this is this is of course thematically shown through the chips like not not just becoming uh entrenched in that they're hard to remove but entrenched in the fact that they begin to physically take over their bodies these green sort of mountain dew lime flavored veins sort of start creeping around the front of the neck um and they start appearing like on the hands on the face coming out of the eyes um just sort of consuming them in their entirety like micah is i think he gets the worst of it if i remember correctly i think he ends well up, like, totally to be covered. fair to be fair that's also a bit of dark magic he gets the he gets the old mass effect renegade treatment that's true uh where he's he's doing the bad stuff and so he looks evil he's the old the old infamous uh the, the the old infamous treatment there but yeah he he also has his, his i think he's got some green in there too i think you're yeah. right i mean hey listen you know what micah it's it's fine you just gotta listen if you get past like uh that like the fourth planet in mass effect 2 then you can just spend like a like two million dollars and you know the elusive man he'll clean that up for you he'll just take those scars right off it's fine just keep giving the guy outside of megaton water that's true and you'll be fine you'll be fine it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how many people you've blown up yeah. just keep giving that guy water yeah and it's really nice so he likes the water it's great you know it, it's really yeah. balances the karma out but but yes uh the chips they are like i think they're a very good a very fitting extension of, of horde prime as a villain for this show yeah, they, they work really, really well as an extension of his domination over people, an extension of sort of the, the imposition of his will. I think that they work really well as a read on on the characters they actually get put on. It sort of it sort of digs up a lot of sort of subsurface things and and uses them um and weaponizes them in a way that makes them like very readable very surface level so it's it's like communicated really well to the audience while also being used to sort of further the drama and further the character development it works really well like as as like a tool in the show's sort of toolbox here i think they did a great job with it, it it'd be really easy i think it's it's very easy to do like a mind control mechanic in your piece of media that just doesn't work out very well. I think it's very easy to make it either like completely wipe out whoever's being controlled and they just sort of become an instrument or, you know, you like lean way too hard into like bringing somebody's like, uh, like internal feelings to the, to the surface in a way that's like, it doesn't feel correct. Um, and I think that, I think it, once again, it's one of those things that, that hits a nice balance. I think that it handles it really well. It doesn't sort of overstay its welcome. Um, you know, this isn't something that we've been dealing with for four seasons. This is, it just comes up in season five and it's a thing that only exists for, um, you know, probably about two thirds of the episodes in it. Like everything else is mostly dealing with like the, the like pre like lead up to it. And of course, like getting rid of them at the end. 
Um, so it's one of those things that they, they don't linger on it especially long. It it ends up serving its purpose, and it doesn't like. It doesn't like. Ling it doesn't linger on the stakes, right? Like I think that the the choice to make the the chips have kind of a timer on them, I think was a really good idea because it forces uh, the cast into confronting them instead of avoiding them, which is sort of the logical conclusion that you would come to um, if you didn't have that timer aspect. I don't know. It's like, it's it's a good choice. I think that they did it well. And uh, and on a thematic level, I think that it was a really good uh, tool to use here. Shows pretty smart. It's pretty smart. So yes, that, that'll be it for Return to the Fright Zone in our discussion about chips, delicious lime-flavored and insidious mind-control flavored alike. Next time, we're talking about Failsafe. Boy, howdy. Boy, howdy. That's going to be a long one. Yeah, that episode's great. Uh, if you Hey, listen, if you, like, uh, if you like characters dealing with some internal stuff, that's an episode and a half right there. It's been a minute since we got to talk about Shadow Weaver for uh, several hours. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to talk about Shadow Weaver for like nine hours straight. It's going to be great. All right. Well, until then, I've been one of your hosts, Nero. And I've been the other host, Jane. And we'll see you on the other side of Podcast Spondos. See you there.